Welcome to the Soulless Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Our passion as a church community is to see Jesus at the center of all things. For more sermon content and information, check out soullesschurch.com. This morning we're in, we are in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. It says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. This is the word of the Lord, to which we all say, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. <laughs> this is the word of the Lord. He's not wrong. Let's pray. <laughs> Give him the easy one. Lord, we come to you this morning thankful, truly, for even one verse in your revelation of who you are and what you have for us and what you've done through Christ and Lord, we think of our brothers and sisters around the world that are without Bibles in hand, that are clinging to single verses from memory. That's their Bible study. We don't ever want to get used to the treasure we have before us. And being able to read and receive and be directed by your word. And so, God, we're here this morning to fully lean into the gift of your word, your voice, your, your spirit working in our lives through this, this collection of truth. And we ask this morning, God, that you would ultimately open our hearts. We have our Bibles open. We've opened this space, but may our hearts here be open, God, as we come before you. And we just pray right now. We say, God, would you open us? Um, would, would you open us more than we think? We might assume that we're open to your word, but maybe there's areas of our life today that you want to open up. And enter into, as we sang, and, and fix and lead. And so, God, we're, we're here, Lord, to be ministered to by you. Help us get our attention on that. God, that we're here for you. Otherwise, this is not worth our time. But because you're here, your promised presence is here. Because your word is available and open to us, God, um, we get to hear from you this morning. Be led by you, be spoken to by you. And that's our prayer. Holy Spirit, would you come now in power to the preaching of your word? Would you anoint me to preach what you have to say for your glory, by your grace, so that we could leave here knowing, God, that you spoke to us? So that's our prayer. Speak to us today and give us ears to hear what you want to say. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and take your seat. All righty. You didn't think we were just going to close the door on Ephesians in a couple weeks, did you? Okay. That wouldn't be characteristic. All right. Well, I say that tongue-in-cheek because we have been, for the past eight months, eight months of this year, now that we've just closed out September, I can't believe it's October, and as we're here in October, that marks eight months that we've been walking through this incredible first century letter that the Apostle Paul wrote as a pastor to a young church at Ephesus. Paul wrote this letter to this church encouraging them to come into a full understanding of what it means to be, and we've been talking about this big, big idea, in Christ, right? So we know this now. This is Ephesians. Ephesians is all about this phrase. It's all about this concept and reality. It's all about what it means to be in Jesus, to be positioned in him, and to live from that position. This is what the gospel does for us. It repositions us in a whole new place, in a whole new person. No longer in Adam, but now in Christ. 
no longer in the flesh, but now in the spirit. No longer in our sin, but now we're in the Lord. We're in him. And so Ephesians is all about that, what it means to be in that position, to move from that position. And here, in this passage of scripture, aka one verse, we are led to consider the concept of strength as an area of our lives in Christ. Every week's a different aspect of life in Christ. And here in this verse, Paul's talking to us about strength in Christ. Uh, Here in chapter 6, verse 10, we have come, and I want you to hear me say this. This is really important as a capstone to even our our whole year in this book. Here in verse 10 of chapter 6, we have come to a culminating point in the book of Ephesians. A culminating point in the book of Ephesians. You, you could say everything has built up to this. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. As Paul says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Now, a key to understanding this verse is understanding the first word that's used there. It's the word finally. And it's important to know that when Paul says finally here, finally, my brethren, uh, Paul is not speaking like a, we'll say like a typical preacher, you know, who's misleading an audience about the closing of his sermon. You know what I mean? Paul's not doing that. He's not like, okay, finally, my last thing for the next hour, okay? It's a classic preacher hack. It's like, let me just try to keep you, I don't want to lose you, and I know you're already thinking about Chipotle or whatever, but like, I want to try to keep you for the last 15 minutes. So finally, my final idea. That's not what Paul's doing here. He's not speaking like a typical preacher misleading an audience to the ending of a sermon. Nor, when Paul says finally here, nor is he, nor is he pivoting to some like additional supplemental final remarks. Like, oh, finally, I forgot to mention, say hi to Bill. Okay? Paul is going to do that at the end of his letter, actually. He does that often. Like, this person says hi to you, and uh, so-and-so greets you, and make sure you say hi to this person. I sent this guy to you to check on you. That, that's not what Paul is doing here. Grammatically speaking, in Ephesians 6.10, as Paul says, finally, this word here is a culminating word. Everything, as Paul is using this word, the concept is like everything has built up to this. Now, finally, in light of all these things. And let's just think about the past eight months and all the different things that we have explored in the book of Ephesians. We've essentially focused on two main aspects. Paul is saying, finally, in light of chapters 1 through 3, if you remember this, chapters 1 through 3 is, is broken up as, as the good news that we're called to live from. That's really chapters 1 through 3. Paul is teaching us and reminding us about the good news. There's good news that we're to live from. It's the good news of what God has done once and for all, completely and wholly for you and I in Christ. It's good news over our lives. It's good news that we shouldn't let go in, one ear, in, uh, go in one ear and out the other. But it's good news that we should be seated in and rooted in and we should live from. It can be uh, really easy for the gospel, which is good news, to very quickly become old news. Like I've heard that, especially if you've been raised in church long enough. And it can lose its power. It can lose its freshness. It's why we need to pray Like David in Psalm 51, God, restore to me the joy of your salvation. God, don't ever let me get used to the good news and think it's not as good as it really is. It's good enough to build my entire identity upon. It's good enough to hope in. It's good enough to live from. That's chapters 1 through 3. 
Chapters one through three is all about what God has accomplished for you and I in Christ, and it's good news. We're, we're also reminded that we are people that live in a bad news world, amen? Like every corner we turn, every notification we get, it's like keep these things out of the bedroom because all it's gonna give you is more reasons to be depressed, as if you and I didn't have enough reasons in our own lives. And the gospel, it gives us good news to live from in a bad news world. It gives us a sense of confidence and hope and encouragement and identity that's not dependent on what's happening around me or my performance from the day behind or the day ahead. Amen? It's good news. Good news that we're called to live from. That's chapters one through three. These are the things that Paul's like, finally, in light of the good news we're called to live from. And also, in light of chapters four through six, what we've studied for the, for the second half of this year, in light of the new life we're called to live in and walk in. There's that shift in chapter 4 where Paul says, Therefore, in light of these things, may you walk worthy of the calling with which you've been called. That's really chapters 4 through 6. Paul's like, I want you to get rooted in the good news, and then as you are secure in your position, and you know that no performance can affect that position, no good behavior nor bad behavior can, can, can do anything to mess with what Christ has done to fix your position, now that you're rooted in that and you know that, walk in humility. Walk out of that. Walk in love. He'll say, walk in unity, walk in light, walk in the spirit. Husbands, walk in love like Jesus has loved the church and how you care for your wives. And then he goes on and on to these different roles, and it's a call to walk. So, so this is so important, okay? In light of all these things, Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Do we see it? Do we see how significant this statement is? Finally. In light of the book, Paul's like, now I don't think Paul is speaking confidently at that point. He's not like, yo, in light of the book of Ephesians, Paul's not saying that, but he is. In light of all these things, here's Paul's encouragement. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Here's the point that Paul's making. Listen, knowing about these things isn't enough. Understanding the ins and outs and the intricacies of the gospel, though it's central to a foundation to build your life upon, Paul's assuming that just knowing these things is enough. Understanding isn't enough. I mean, if like knowledge was the key to me being rooted in my identity in Jesus, I wouldn't struggle as much as I do. (laughs) If understanding was the key, like if I just knew the way I needed to walk, then I mean, if that's all it took, then I would be walking with Jesus perfectly precisely each and every day. I wouldn't be walking in repentance as much as I do. I'd probably be walking more in love and light in all these things. Paul is communicating a strong point here, finally, in light of all these things. Simply knowing about these things isn't enough. In order, listen closely, for you and me, in order for you and I to stay rooted in our identity, to actually live from the good news, in order for you and I to actually be faithful in our obedience to Jesus, to walk worthy of the way he's called us, listen, you and I need something beyond anything we could muster in the flesh. We need something greater than our own strength. Paul's saying here, you need a greater power source. That's the hope of these things. Finally, in light of the good news of the book of Ephesians, in light of what you've been called to live, you need to lean on the Lord. This is a culminating thought. Knowing is not enough. You need something from outside of you. You you need to be strong in a strength 
that comes to you from God. Let's just meditate on this for a second. This is what Paul, like he's like, I know you know everything the book of Ephesians has to say, but now you need more than info. You need inspo, okay? You need something strong, something to enable, something to empower. You don't have in and of yourself enough. You need to be strong in a strength, in a might that comes to you from outside of you. What a phrase. Be strong now in the Lord and in the power of his might. Remember in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul actually prays this for the church. I love this prayer. Remember this in Ephesians 3. Paul says, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, Paul prayed this earlier, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Anybody ever needed a prayer like this over their own life? Like, God, would you strengthen me with a power that I can't muster? Would you enable me to be rooted in an identity that I can't find myself in on my own because I'm like shifting sand back and forth? I'm up, then I'm down. One day I'm rooted in Christ. The next day I'm uprooted and I'm planted in something else. I know my tendency. But one day I'm walking in the way of Jesus. The next day I'm walking, you know, in an opposite direction, like, Sometimes I feel like my life resembles like a broken shopping cart with that busted wheel that just like, there I go, just off the course, you know, that like pesky shopping cart. And that's my tendency. So God, I know this. And so would you strengthen me? Would you enable me? Would you give me the power to walk in the life that you've called me to? Because I can't do it alone. I can't do it alone, but I can do all things through you. So this is what Paul prays over this church. This is, by the way, what makes the Christian faith, the message of the gospel, the message of the scripture, unique to every other worldview, religious perspective, and religious leader. It's not hard to find in the world religious leaders with, with religious concepts. I mean, some of the most prominent today are on Capitol Hill. You can hear their own religions and their own perspectives. You, you don't have to look very far. You have influencers and ideas and religious people. You have in the world religions throughout history. All sorts of different founders and, and theories about life and the way that it's meant to be best lived and how we're to relate to the natural universe and all these concepts. But what often identifies the world religions is, is exclusively pathways and, and practices to employ or a life to pursue. But what's unique about Christianity, and this is what's amazing, is like Jesus doesn't come on the scene and just offer us a bunch of rules and ways to live. Like, here's how you need to do it. I just came down, I just beamed down from heaven to say what's up and be like, you guys are doing it all wrong. Here's the way to do it. Peace out. I'm getting out of here. No, Jesus, he has to deal with something deeper and bigger in our hearts and our lives. He has to deal with the biggest problem we have, which is not just that we've gotten the path wrong, but we've gotten the source wrong. We've become disconnected from God altogether. And so Jesus comes to bridge the gap, to reconcile us back to God in order to give us more than just rules, more than just a way of life, but to actually, listen to this, this is what makes Jesus different than everyone else. He comes to empower you to live the life he's called you to live. Without that, by the way, I'm done. I've already, I've already failed at this thing. But, but if if my faith is I'm working out my own salvation because it's God who works in me to will and to do for his good pleasure, that's a whole nother story. If God is actually going to come and enter in and empower me and enable me to live, this is what's so beautiful about the gospel. It's not just Jesus as a teacher. It's Jesus as Savior first 
who comes to make you who he's calling you to be. Not just tell you who he's calling you to be. This is what's so fun about following Jesus is he's the one that perfects us. He's the one that grows us and empowers us. Uh, this is a theme of God, by the way, as it, as it pertains to God's strength that's found all throughout the history of God's relationship to his people. Almost on, on every, in every book, you, you can see this image of God relating to his people as one who gives them strength, who empowers them when they're weak. Isaiah chapter 40 has it said so beautifully. Uh, Isaiah says, have you not known, have you not heard, has it not been told to you from the beginning, have you not understood for the foundations of the earth, it is he who sits above the circle of the earth. And its inhabitants, I love this, are like grasshoppers. That's not like a cool kimosabi like, like thing, that's like we're small. Maybe it's, okay, we're small compared to God. Notice this, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain. So Isaiah is painting this visual poetic picture of how great and grand and, and large God is, how strong he is. And he's doing it in comparison to us. He's like, even the best of man is man at best and compared to God, a, a grasshopper. God who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He brings the princes to nothing. I mean, it's like trying to compare God to anyone else is a work in futility. You can't compare the strength of a king or a ruler to God. He makes the judges of the earth useless. Look at verse 25. God says, to whom then will you liken me? This is where it starts. See, a lot of us, the problem with our theology is not that we have a poor understanding of, uh, it's not just that we have a poor understanding of God's work in me, but we have a limited and low view of God and his power altogether. So we limit him to what he can do. We, we actually make the sins we struggle with more strong than him. We make the identities we're stuck in more strong than him. We make the discouragement that can dominate our life. More, and, and Isaiah's like, don't even play. If you want to play the comparison game, let's get a right theology of how strong God is, how big he is. Let's not lessen him. Who are you going to compare him? Who's going to be his equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high. This is what some of us need to do today. We've just been looking at the wrong stuff, amen? It's like, God, lift my eyes up to see how strong and how powerful you are. See that you've created all things. You bring out, the, out their hosts by number, speaking of the stars. God, I love this too. Not only is God all powerful, but he's like, he's having fun. He's up there naming all the stars. I'm sure they're much cooler names than what we give them, like FB347. You know, on the, it's like, I'm not going to try to assume what God calls the stars. But he names them. Notice this. He calls them all by name. How? By the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. It's a high view of God. Not one is missing. So now, now Isaiah is going to go, okay, you have good theology. Okay, we got to start there. You've got to have a high view of God, a high view of his strength, a, a true understanding of his power. He's stronger than whatever you're facing. But now you need to personalize it and apply your theology, knowing this is good, but then applying it to your life is important. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, that my way is hidden from the Lord? Yeah, God, I know you're strong, but you're not strong in this way of life. You've forgotten to be strong here for me. You've forgotten to be mighty in this weakness of my life. And my just claim is passed over by my God. As if he just kind of saw it on his table. He's like, no, not them. That's the thought that we can have sometimes, that God passes over us. Have you not known? 
Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, have you not known this about him, that he neither faints nor is weary? Even when you're sleeping, God is alive and well and strong and watching over you. His understanding is unsearchable. We can't make sense of this, but here's the good news. Not only, this is amazing, not only does God not reject us and pass over his own kids, but he gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary. That's the prime time of life. But even the youths get tired, and the young men shall utterly fail. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Do you see what Isaiah has done here? It's like the strength of God, the weakness of man. But when you connect those two, you end up with the strength of man all of a sudden. He starts with how great and strong and mighty God is, how low our view tends to be of him. And then you start to count yourself out as a recipient of his strength. And and Isaiah reminds you that not only is God one that doesn't use his power against the weak, but he empowers the weak with strength. Those who wait in the Lord shall renew their strength. This is a theme of God's relationship to his people. Uh, This theme... That's central even to Paul's ministry. A lot of what he says is around this idea of God is strong and he wants to be strong in and for and through you. It's really personal to Paul. In a lot of ways, you could say that the strength of God was one of the themes of Paul's life. Paul talks a lot about God's strength in his own weakness. He talks about a lot lot about God's strength. And one of my favorite passages is a section of scripture that is often, uh, like many passages, there's verses plucked out of it, so you kind of miss the beauty of the context. And it's Philippians chapter 4, where Paul talks about God's strength being the source of his own strength. This is what what Paul came to find. I mean, imagine this, that we so grow in our understanding of the strength of God that we start to depend our entire lives upon it. It becomes the source of our lives. Paul is speaking to this church of Philippi, and he's like, man, I'm rejoicing in the Lord greatly. And now at last your care for me has flourished again. You you, you saw my need financially in ministry, Paul said, and you came alongside me and you blessed me and you supported what God was doing in my life. And you did care, you just lacked opportunity. It wasn't that you didn't care, it's just in the time past you didn't have the opportunity to hook me up, but you came alongside and you did, and I thank you for that. And unfortunately we're not in the 21st century, so your donation is not uh, tax deductible, but thank you for your support, okay? Paul says this, He doesn't say that, actually. Okay, but he says, not that I speak, though, notice this, in regard to need. This is interesting. He's like, you saw my need, and you met my need. Thank you. And as I thank you for meeting my need, I want you to know that I'm not speaking as one who was ever in need. And they're like, well, then what are you thanking us for, Paul? Because I'm pretty sure you were in need, and we came alongside you, and, like, we hooked you. And Paul says, I've learned something in life that's enabled me to say this. He goes, for I've learned that in whatever state I am, I can be content. I know how to be abased. In other words, I know how to be at the lowest point of life. And beyond that, I also know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry. I've learned to both abound and suffer need. Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Um, I, 
I heard this verse a lot growing up in the church. I grew up in the church, and I, I even know how to say this verse in Spanish. I'm not going to do it for you today. Todo lo puedo en Cristo que me fortalece. But, I mean, um, and this is one of those verses growing up where it's like, if I didn't study for my test, you know what I mean? It's like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, if I was like going to share my love interest with this girl, Brittany, I was like, I can do all, th- you know, God, you can do all things and you can make her like me too. You know, um, a lot of times we think of this verse as like, you know, we know like athletes, you know, will have it like tattooed on them. And it's kind of like, you know, I, mean, I just put up the 50 points for the Lord. And I did that because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's like, all right, like there's some truth somewhere inside there, like a, like a toy at the bottom of the Cracker Jack box, like I could find it. But what Paul is saying here is something so much more profound than God enables me to do the things I really want to succeed at. Paul is saying that God's enabling strength is so sufficient that I don't have to succeed to be content. His strength is so sufficient that I've learned that it's the source of my life in times of prosperity and times of poverty. When things are going good, God is my strength. When things are going bad, God's my strength. I can do all things. The all things there are not like just the naturally impossible. The all things are I can be in every circumstance and not have to worry because my strength is not tied to what I have in my bank account or what I have in my life. My strength is tied to my relationship with God and I can do everything through that. It's a spiritual wealth in and of itself. It's a place to live from. So Paul is intimately familiar with this idea. I, got a, I just got verses for you about strength today. I hope you're jiving with this. At the end of Paul's life, this is one of my favorites. Like, this is just the theme of strength in Paul's life. And I'm going to give you a couple ways that God strengthens us in life. Uh, Paul, this is the end of his life. So, so uh, this is kind of like my goal. I, I definitely care a lot about, you know, I've started... You know, we started out on a journey of planting a church in the past five or six years, and a lot of my time has been thinking around, like, how do you start something? But, like, more and more, the more I walk with Jesus, I'm more concerned with how do you finish something well? Like, how do you actually, because I've seen a lot of great things start, and a lot of, um, a lot of people not finish, not finish the race. So I'm inspired by Paul, who, who was like, God's strength wasn't just there for me when I started, but God's strength is what sustained me to the very end, to be faithful to Jesus when it got harder, and I was alone. So this is Paul as a pastor at the end of his life. I think there's some like pastoral connections I have with Paul that I kind of resonate with, to be honest, too, but I won't talk too much about that. Paul says to Timothy, be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Paul's in a prison cell. We don't know how much time he has. We don't know if he has days or hours. He definitely doesn't have like months or years. And Paul's alone in this prison cell, and he's talking about a guy named Demas who forsook him, loving the world. The idea there is he loved his life. He departed for Thessalonica, Cretans for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. And then he says, only Luke is with me, which is like if Luke's there, like I don't know if he's saying like, hey, just only Luke is with me, or if he's saying only Luke. is. So if you're Luke, you're like, am I not enough, Paul? Like only Luke is with me? Anyway. Remember Luke, you know, he's like, you know, he's very like technical and stuff. He's probably not the most best social company. That's just offensive. But it says, get Mark and bring him with you for he's useful to me for ministry. Remember Mark, the guy that Paul and Barnabas split over at one point in his life? 
It's amazing how at the end of the life, end of your life, the petty differences in your like little relationships that divided you don't matter as much anymore. <laughs> like, why was I wasting? Bring Mark. He's actually not only can he come with me, he's useful to me for ministry. Antichicus, I've sent to Ephesus. Look at Paul's condition. Bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas. Like he doesn't even have the basic essentials of life. He's in a weak spot. Physically, relationally. Uh, bring the books, especially the parchments. And then he talks about this guy, Alexander the Coppersmith. And you, if I'm Alexander, I don't want to be Alexander the Coppersmith. Because look at this. Alexander the Coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord, I, I love that Paul doesn't say, God forgive him for he knows not what he do. He goes, God, may you just repay him according to his words. I'm going to start praying that more. Hello. Okay. You also must be aware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. Notice this. At my first defense, here's what Paul says. He's like, at my first defense, no one stood with me. When I was testifying to my faithfulness to Jesus in the face of persecution, Paul says, no one was there, but he shows grace. He goes, may it not be charged to them. But the Lord stood with me. Wow. And what did he do? He strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me. So Paul has, has found himself in a season of life where he has nothing left but the presence of God. Paul's like, that was enough. Everyone left me. I was all alone. I was in a prison cell. Didn't have the basic necessities of life. Abandoned, forsaken. I, I got Dr. Luke is the only person here with me. Like, he goes, but God's been with me and that's been enough. The Lord was with me and he strengthened me. See, this is a vision that God's word has given us for our lives. A vision that sees God is strong and God is relating to you as one who wants to be strong for you. Wants to be strong where there's weakness. He wants to bring strength where there's limits. This is Paul's culminating encouragement in Ephesians. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Now, at the first half of this, you might go, okay, Andrew, I get that. I get the vision. I get, you know, I actually, that's kind of wet my palate a little bit. I, I, I hunger for that. I, I know I'm weak. I want to be strong. I want to be able to say like Paul that when I'm alone and everything's going bad around me and within me, that I can say that God is with me and he's strengthening me and I can keep going. But how do I do that? Or here's another question. How does God give us strength? I want to submit to you a couple ideas about this. Uh, three maybe familiar and some surprising words that we want to tie to the way that God gives us strength. God gives us strength through hardship. God gives us strength through friendship. And God gives us strength through what we'll call sonship. Hardship, friendship, sonship. I, I want you to see that the, the concept here that God gives us strength through these things is connected again to Ephesians 6.10. This is an interesting verse, right? Here I am as a follower of Jesus. Paul's just taught me a lot of great things about my identity in him, this good news that's over my life that I want to live from. I see a vision ahead of me of the life that I'm called to live, and I see this need I have to be strengthened by God in order to do that. So, like, this, is a, this isn't one of those verses that's, like, hard to want to obey. Do you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm, like, it's not like wives submit to your husbands, husbands die for your wives. It's like, this is like, hey, here's the command. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Like, I read that, I'm like, 
I want that. How do I do that? You know what I'm saying? Like, be strong. It's like, is there a lever you hit? Like, is it like a certain formula of like pray fast, pray, pray, read? Like, is it, you know what I'm saying? Go to church three times out of the month. You know, like, is that, that's, that's actually, actually, in the Greek, that's what it means. So come to church more. But, um, like, we, we can look at something like this. And what's really interesting is this is where sometimes the Greek helps us out. When Paul encourages and charges Christians there to be strong, the verb tense he uses is a passive verb tense. And we remember this from grammar, right? It means that it's, it's being received upon. It's being acted upon. So when Paul says there, be strong, he's not like go to the, the gym for the Lord and work out and get strong. That's not what he's saying. It's a passive verb. Be strong. The idea there is to receive strength that God gives. This is where it gets a little bit more helpful and practical. Be strong in the Lord. Okay, how do I do that? Well, it's, it's actually not something you do. It's something God does, and it's something you receive. Be strong in the Lord. It's a passive verb. Receive the strength that he gives. And that goes back to that question. Well, then how, God does he, how then does God give us strength? How can we receive it? Well, let's start here with the difficult one. Let's get the difficult one out of the way. One arena where God will use to give us strength, one, one, one way that we can receive strength from God is through the hardships of life. Hardship. Receive the strength of God in Hardship, through hardship. Uh, this, this is obviously a very common theme in scripture and, and history and in our lives, that God uses hardship. Um, not to destroy our faith, but to develop our faith. A lot of times we can think of hardship as like something that depletes our strength. Because how many of us have been depleted through hardship, right? That's how we naturally think about it. But from heaven's vantage, from God's heart, hardship is never a tool of depletion and destruction. But God in his perfect sovereignty, love, and care for us uses hardship as a source of development, as a source of, of building us up. This is 1 Peter 5.8. Peter says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. The context here is suffering. The enemy's goal in your hardship is to destroy your strength, to destroy your faith, not make you better, but make you bitter. And Paul says, rather, Peter, resist him. Be steadfast in the faith, knowing that you're not weird and unusual, and you're not like in this group of, of, of God, like you're like the least favored child of God, that you're like the only one that suffers, the only one that struggles, the only one that sins. Okay, that's called the fellowship. Like we're talking about a lot of ships, a lot of boats. We're all in that boat, the fellowship. We're all fellow sinners. We're all fellow sufferers. Sailing along, Jesus is the captain. Praise the Lord, amen. Okay, don't, don't think that, that you're alone. These sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in all the world. You're part of the fellowship of his sufferings. Don't let the enemy creep in to, to isolate your mind, to think that you're weird and you're unusual and that God's against you. And then he says this, may the God of all grace, I love that, all grace, who called us to his eternal glory, our eyes on heaven, after you have suffered a while, here's what God's doing, may he perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. What a vision. The enemy has a certain goal for your trial. It's to destroy and deplete you, but God also has a goal for your hardship. It's a tool that only God in his perfect grace and love, the God of all grace can use 
to strengthen and develop us. Now, how does God do that? How does God use trial to strengthen us? Here are two areas of strength that I think God um, uses trials for. Here's, this is basically from my journal, in case you're wondering, okay? Two areas I've seen God use hardship to develop in my life. God uses trials to build our resilience, makes us stronger, and God uses our trials to deepen our reliance. This is how he makes us stronger when we go through hardship. The first thing he does in hardship is he, he builds our, he actually makes us stronger through the op- uh, opposition. Because like any, you might think of this naturally, like the physical workout thing. It's like to get strong, you got to get weak. You got to get tired. And you've got to learn endurance. You've got to learn resilience. And what might look like an enemy as a Christian can be welcomed. As something that's going to build my strength. That's a, a place to get to. Paul says in Romans 5, not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. We, let's, I mean, earlier, he's like talking about the good news of the gospel. He's like, not only that, if you call now, Jesus will also give you tribulations. But here's the good news. You can glory in even tribulation, hardship, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character hope. How is strength of character developed? It's developed through opportunities for perseverance, to continue. This is why Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.3 that you must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. I mean, this is like you know, military 101, is we subject soldiers to hardship to build their resilience, for them to be able to go out on the battlefield and fight. And what if we started to see our trials in that way? God, what you're giving me right now is a gift to build my trust and my faith and my resilience because I'm naturally prone to stop right here. I like my comfort zone, Lord. But you're stretching me. You're growing me for your glory to build resilience. Now, God also will allow trials in our lives He'll strengthen us through trials and hardship uh, by using them to also deepen our reliance. This is another thing God will bring trials into our lives for. He'll, He'll sovereignly allow these things to happen, which is sometimes a hard thing to make sense of. And sometimes there's even mystery in that. I'm not trying to get into the big enigma of that. I'm just giving some truths from God's word about this. That often trials not only are there to build our resilience and our faith and our character as we persevere in the Lord. But trials, what they do is they get up in the face of the one thing we don't want to turn away from, which is self-reliance. Which is our, like, so when Paul's here, is like, hey, be strong. Notice what he says. In what? The Lord in him. Oh, okay. And in the power of whose? His might. Okay, this is, I mean, this is um, counter nature to our fallen condition. Which, I mean, if you, uh, Andrew Murray talks about this in his book, Humility, which is a great book on this idea. But he, he describes the, the very nature of pride is self-reliance. and ter- We were created to enjoy God's creation, depend on him. The very nature of pride is saying, God, I can do this on my own. It's the fall. God, I have this. I'm strong enough. I'm able enough. We so, in our fallenness, we so want to be defined by our works, defined by our strength. We so want to be led along by ourselves. You know, we live in a culture where it's like weakness, of course, is like the last thing that you ever want to surface. 
We're not allowed. And so no one's afraid. No one's afraid. Uh, everyone's afraid to be honest. No one wants to be vulnerable because weakness is like it's pounced on. I live in a culture where like we shoot at the wounded. We look for ways to, to level ourselves up. And so, so much of our, our natural tendency is, is not to be strong in the Lord, but we, we have to hide our weakness to be strong enough. And Paul says God will use hardship sometimes to chip away at that. In 2 Corinthians 1, Paul says this. Paul describes the situation he was in. I want you to see the, the, the language he uses. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul goes, I don't want you guys to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble, which came to us in Asia. He says this. We were burdened beyond measure. Notice this phrase, above strength. Literally means beyond strength. So that we despaired even of life. Paul found himself in a situation that his own resources, which naturally bail him out of whatever trial he's got into, they weren't enough to get him through. Which is the thing we try to avoid. We want to be able to keep going on our own. I just want to maintain my independence as far along as I can. And Paul's talking about the grace of God in his life, allowing him to be in a situation that was chipping away at that self-reliance because it caused him to realize that he didn't have enough and enough himself. He said, we have the sentence of death on ourselves. Notice why. So that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. You see what God is doing through his trial? It, see, it was through the hardship that I became stronger because I learned that there's a greater strength to look to that I don't naturally look to. And the hardship chipped away at my self-reliance. We, we know the famous passage where Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 12. He goes into this deeper. He goes, lest I should be exalted above measure, lest I, lest I should get too prideful and too self-confident, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. Now, I want you to notice this. A messenger of Satan to buffet me. This has like echoes from the book of Job where you have both the sovereignty of God and the opposition of the evil one involved in someone's trial. Um, and if you have questions about this, I'm happy to just send me an email to kyle at soulischurch.com. We'll figure it all out for you. And we'll, we'll be happy to make sense of it. But there's this even mystery sometimes of how God does this. And the enemy comes and he brings a trial. He brings a temptation. He brings a struggle. Uh, the thorn represents a reminder of your humanity, a reminder of your limits. And you're like, why is this thing happening? And sometimes here's what happens. Those will think that those thorns are gone. This is why they're called a thorn. You ever like got a thorn out and you're like, okay, I'm good. And then like a week later, you're like, why is my thumb pulsing? It's a thorn. I thought I was free from this. I thought I was strong enough for this. I, 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 thought, I, was, I thought this was gone. It's back again. Ever had that? Things will resurface. They're thorns. And Satan, again, has a purpose for that thorn. That thorn from Satan is there to destroy you, to buffet you, to deplete your strength. So Paul says, concerning this thing, it's from Satan. So you think that a thing from Satan, as you bring it to God, would be dealt with, right? So I pleaded to the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Was that three separate occasions? Was that three sets of three prayers? I, I don't know, but Paul's like, I prayed about this. When I went to my friends, they're like, did you pray about it? You're like, yeah, three times. I prayed about it three times. I went up for prayer. I did the whole thing. And he said to me, here's his answer. My grace is going to be sufficient for you here. God, I don't want your grace. I want your work. And I want to work my way out of this. I want your answers. I want your solutions. 
I want you to fix my problem. And God goes, my grace is what you need. It's not just the freedom from your weakness. It's a strength that comes from God. That's what you need. My grace is sufficient for you. And in fact, hold on, you're in actually a pretty great situation here. This is where my strength is actually made perfect. Because you can't rely on yourself for this. Now you have to turn to me. Now my strength is going to be real to you. It'll be more than a concept. Now it's going to be reality. So Paul says, in light of that, I love Paul here. I most gladly, imagine getting to this place, I will boast in my infirmities. Because it's through this infirmity that the power of Christ is resting upon me in a fresh way. It's no longer self-reliance, it's God-reliance. And his strength is on me in a special way. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. Notice this, for when I am weak, then I am strong. What a concept. Imagine going from the place where like, not only do you, not, not only don't you conceal your weaknesses, but you're like, oh, I brag about my weaknesses. Oh, cool, you're confessing your weakness? I'm boasting about how weak I am because my identity and my security is not in my own strength, it's in his. Friendship is another key part of this, especially as you're walking through hardship, as you're walking through hard times. I want you to notice that Paul says, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. He's speaking to a community of people. He's not speaking to isolated individuals, like be strong through your hardship. He's like, that was Peter too. He's like, you can't end up on strength by yourself. He's not speaking to isolated individuals. He's speaking to a community of faith, calling them all together into strength. Uh, and this is a really important concept here about how God gives strength. Um, you know, a key aspect of admitting your humanity is learning not just to depend on God for strength, but to also depend on the people he wants to use in your life, the people he wants to bring around you. And it's really hard because it's very natural and it's also really trendy in, in, in the 21st century world of following Jesus to be a self-sufficient, as in not in community Christian. And, and you just, you, you, can't, you cannot say, I depend on God. I don't need people, I depend on God. Um, because when you say that, what you're doing is you're denying one of the primary ways that God strengthens you. So you cannot say, I depend on God, but not people or community or friends. That's to deny the, one of the primary ways that God works in our lives. Uh, this is what Paul is doing uh, to Ephesus. He's doing what he's done all throughout the churches in Acts. He comes alongside and he strengthens the disciples. One of my favorite examples of this, uh, the need to have community and good friends around you, is in the Old Testament with David and Jonathan. There's a time where David needed strength. He was in the strongholds of the wilderness and he remained in the mountains of the wilderness of Ziph. That's just symbolic even of where we can find ourselves in strongholds and wildernesses of situations of life. And, you know, David's, you know, so you had a bad day. David is on Israel's, like, most wanted list. He's, on, he's the top target on Saul's hit list. Saul seeks him every day. David's anointed to be the king of Israel. Saul is rejected. Saul's not happy about that. Wants to kill him. Politics. But look at but God did not deliver him into his hands. So David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life, and David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a forest. I mean, probably like one of the lowest points of David's life. It says, then Jonathan, Saul's son, 
surprising the kind of people that God will bring into your life, arose and went to David in the woods, notice this, and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, do not fear, I love this, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you, for you shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Even my father Saul knows that. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. And I love this. And David stayed in the woods. <laughs> I love that. David's like, all right, I'll see you. John. I'm going to stay here in the woods. And Jonathan went to his own house. But I love the picture here of what true friendship is. Like, there's such a tendency when someone's in their hard time to try to be the solution to their problem. Do you know what I mean? How do I get you out of this situation? How do I get you out of the woods? And sometimes all you need in a friend is someone who can come alongside of you and speak God's promises over you and strengthen your hand in the Lord. And just say, keep going. Keep going. Know what God has promised. Know what he's said. I don't have all the answers. to Just like you don't have all the answers to your trial, I don't have the answers to the trial. But here's what's true about God. In times where you don't know, depend on what you do. He's faithful. He's with you. He has more for you. Continue along. This is to be what the church is to look like as well. A community that supports, that bears one another's burdens. All right, last one here, guys. We have this vision for a God who strengthens his people through hardship. He strengthens us through friendship. We can't do it alone. And ultimately, this has been Paul's main concept here in the book of Ephesians, that God has strength for his kids as a father. He strengthens us through the gift of sonship. Again, finally, my brethren. Who's he speaking to? He's speaking to the church. He's calling them to strength. This is not some like platitude thing that like some influencer puts on their Instagram. Like, yo, be strong in the Lord, followers. Like this is Paul speaking to the very people of God. There's a unique strength that God has for his unique and special people. In chapter one, Paul spoke about the sonship they have as sons and daughters, that they now belong to God. He chose us in him before the foundations of the world. He predestined us to adoption as sons. He's made us his kids. This is how he gives us strength. He makes us his own. And then Paul says this. Okay, like, I'm glad you know that you're sons and daughters of God. But then he prays for them. He's like, when I heard of your faith in Jesus and your love for all the saints, I didn't stop praying for you, giving thanks for you, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, that your eyes would be open and that you would know as a son, as a daughter of God, that you would truly know what that means that you would know the hope of his calling in your life, that you would know the riches of the glory of his inheritance, and notice this, and that you would know the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ. That same power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality, power, and dominion. Paul's like, I'm glad you know that through the gospel you're a son or daughter of God, but have your eyes been open to what the implications of that actually are? That means that there is no weakness that you're on your own for anymore. You have a new father. You have a new dad. You're his kids. May your eyes be open to the greatness of his power. He's a good father that helps his kids. He won't leave them alone. And this is, listen, like Paul, you're going to find yourselves in times where you're like even David and you're alone in the forest and there's no Jonathan. And you're like Paul. You're like, everyone's bailed on me. Here I am. May you and I be able to say, the Lord strengthened me.
I can't, you know, there, David actually does this in 1 Samuel 30. There's another event where he's, he's pretty distressed. He's leading people. Everyone's bummed out. Everyone's mad. Everyone wants to kill him. Not a great plea. Talk about hardship. They want to kill you, okay? David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved. David made a bad leadership decision and, and everyone wanted to, to take him out for it and every man for his sons and daughters. I mean, this is a big one. It cost people's lives. I love this. But David strengthened himself. Isn't that cool? Jonathan comes along. There's seasons of life where you need Jonathan, where you need, some, like, like you're right now isolated. You need a friend to come along and you cannot lift that on your own. It's too heavy. And then there's some of us, we're in seasons of life where the only strength we know to access is the strength from other people. And we're crushing people around us because we're expecting them to be for us what only God can be. So I love that David masters both of these arts, having community and friends that can be there to support you. But I'm telling you, like, if you're going to be faithful to Jesus to the end of your days, if you and I are going to do this thing, if we're going to remain rooted in our identity, if we're actually going to walk the course of the Christian life, we've got to learn how to strengthen ourselves in God. We've got to learn to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We've got to learn how to access what is ours as sons and daughters. Amen? We've got to learn to come to him as a father who gives good gifts to his kids, and that includes his strength when you're weak. For those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. So as we close today, I'll invite the band to come out, same band that led us on the front end. They're going to come out, and we're going to create a space here where we want to, like David, come sort of be alone with the Lord for a second, And I have a final scripture that I want us to meditate on as we go into this time. David had been through enough weakness where he he learned something. This is later in David's life. So in Psalm 73, David has a a declaration that he's able to make about God in his life that I want to be true of my life and and our lives together. David speaking to the Lord says, Whom whom have I in heaven but you? I've been in enough situations where there, there was no one else there for me. There's one true and living God. There's one true source of strength. Who who do I have except you? And on earth, there's nothing I desire besides you. David has come to find God as the sole treasure of his life. My flesh and my heart fail, don't they? I know your flesh fails. I know that. You're human. Doesn't your heart fail as well? You ever felt that? You ever felt like the failure of your heart to keep trusting and keep going? Have you been there? Oftentimes the, the failure of our flesh is just the overflow of a failing heart. It's downcast. It's struggling to keep going, keep trusting. And David's able to say, my flesh and my heart, they're going to fail. But God is the strength of my heart. He's the source of my life. The hope of my life is not my heart and my flesh's ability to succeed. My heart and flesh fail, but God is my strength. God is my strength. So I want you to just begin to close your eyes and create a space here of contemplation and communion with Jesus. Where you begin to see him on the other end of your attention. You begin to focus on him. You get your eyes off the band, the room, the time. Just focus on him for a second. See a father 
with a willing heart looking to strengthen you, that loves you, that knows what you're going through, that knows what you've been through, that is working for you through it a far more and exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Though your outward man is perishing, your inward man's being renewed day by day. See a father that, that says, he has, or rather, I have what you need. I'm your strength. I'm your shield. I'm your power. I'm the grace. And my grace is sufficient for you. So maybe we create a space where it's just you and Jesus. Keep your eyes closed. We'll enter into a moment here where you can think about this. Think about your own life. Think about who you've been depending on. And maybe in this moment, let's just take a moment. If we need to repent, we're going to turn from our strength and we're going to ask God for his. Let's create a space to do that.